I'm standing on top of the stairs at the Union Buildings. On my left, there is a group of tourists taking a photo of the buildings itself. On my right, a couple is sitting on the stairs, hand in hand, whispering sweet nothings to each other. In front of me is Sunnyside and Arcadia, two of the oldest suburbs in Pretoria. Taxis and cars drift by the Sheraton Hotel, and there is this amazing energy about the city. We are a melting pot of beautiful and diverse cultures, and the African sun is smiling down on the 012. While I'm here, though, I can't help but think of Pretoria's past. The history that is attached to the city is at times that of heartache and pain. Something that I've noticed during this year, particularly during the hashtag MeToo and gender-based violence protests, is that we as young people only talk about issues and concerns when something negative or topical happens. There needs to be a catalyst in order to spark a conversation. Now, as a community-based radio station, I feel as though Tux FM needs to change that. We need to spark the conversations ourselves, and we need to be talking about the issues that affect us. Again, I think back to the history of the city. I think back to a time where people were segregated based on the color of their skins. Today, we live in an age where identity is one of the most important things that we talk about. And yet, I don't think we talk about our cultural identities enough. I love the city. I love living in the city. I love being a part of the city's culture. And I love the Owen too. But I can't ignore the stigma and misconception that people have of this city. The misconception that a large portion of the city is racist. I can't ignore the city's past. I can't ignore the fact that the city's past will affect the people of the city for generations to come. Or will it? I want to go on a journey exploring this topic. I want to ask the question, is Pretoria a racist city? I want to explore how young people are addressing race and culture. I want to explore the vast cultural beauty of the 012. This is the first episode in a series of audio documentaries exploring the 012. This is 012, Are We Racist? Tax FM 107.2. It's about you. It's about me. It's about now. I've made a conscious effort to avoid the extremes of this topic. I'm not interested in exploring hateful, negative people because I truly believe that ordinary people in Pretoria don't actually live their lives like that. I want to hear from a group of regular, everyday people, people who deal with race and culture in their own unique way. I want to hear from you. To get a better understanding of what to expect, I need to understand exactly what racism is. What does the concept mean? What does racism do? And why do we as human beings behave in that way? My first stop is talking to a psychologist. I sat down with Pierre Bruard, who's the deputy director of the Center for Sexualities, AIDS and Gender right here at the University of Pretoria. So Pierre, the first question that I've got is, is what is it mentally that makes us look at other people and makes us look at the color of other people's skin and, and, and react in certain ways to that? What is, it, what is the condition? Help me understand what, what, what our brains do when it comes to racism. Okay, so I suppose the starting point would be that nobody is born racist right. or sexist or homophobic or xenophobic. So it is clearly something that is a learned behavior. Um, and that behavior is learned from our families, our communities, the social setting in which we grew up, the political context in which we grew up. So, for example, you know, I'm a white South African of a, of a certain older age. I grew up in the deepest, darkest years of apartheid. Um, so, you know, you could you, even if I could say that I grew up in a home that wasn't overtly racist, the system in which I was steeped was racist. Um, it decided that black people were inferior and that inferiority was reproduced by the state through laws, through social norms, through forms of inequality. And so therefore, as an ordinary person, all of that sort of seeps into my psyche. Um, 
what could complicate the, the, this is, is, an, is we could say that we, as human beings, we are also designed to discern um, or to discriminate. Uh, by, by the, in the, in the, uh, when I say discriminate, I mean to distinguish between one thing and another. Right. So I mean, for example, a baby has to learn that this is my mother and my father, not a stranger. I can trust them. So we learn to pick up cues to decide, is this person someone I can trust? Is this person someone I should fear? And I think then what, what racism does is it decides or creates this idea that people who are of a darker skin color, who are black, are inferior. And then it reproduces the idea in multiple ways, as I've suggested, and then the individual internalizes that understanding and then expresses their racism in multiple ways. Okay, so okay, I, I just, I just want to get a better understanding of what you mean by, by you learn from your environment. Um, I grew up in a hugely liberal household, and I imagine I'm going to raise my children in a hugely liberal household as well. Uh, what, what, what is it about this learned behavior that, that, that continues? How, how is it that you have generation one um, passing this down to generation two, and generation two not, not intrinsically or, or not, not, not being able to say, hang on, this is wrong. I don't want to behave or act like this in a, in a certain way. How, how does that happen? How do we, how do we learn to, to, to discriminate against someone? Well, we learn by what we see, you know, so going back to my own story, if I, I grew up in a system where black South Africans were excluded from geographic spaces, from living in, in white areas, they were, they, their work, the kind of work they could do was work like gardeners and laborers and domestic workers. So you see that they are black people were cast in positions of inferiority and, not, and the apartheid system deliberately undereducated black people. It was, a, it was an explicit goal of apartheid. So you, you almost unconsciously in, in, take in this idea that, well, black people can't be um, doctors and engineers and CEOs because you don't see that. So you, it just sort of naturalizes the idea that, well, black people are X rather than capable of being Y. So th that's one thing. It's what you see. Um, it's what you pick up in media, you know, what you read in newspapers, how black bodies and black stories are represented and described in newspapers, on radio and in television. And then it would be what you see or hear your parents saying. Um, and even not only what they might be saying overtly, but is also what they're not saying that you learn from. So you, you pick up cues in subtle ways. So racism isn't only about, I suppose, the explicit um, utterances which are harmful or, or pejorative, but it can be the subtle ways in which people are, um, stories are invalidated, um, they are put down or, or ignored in some way. Okay, so Pierre raises some very valid points, but the majority of what he was talking about was looking at an apartheid sort of era South Africa. What about the born freeze? What about people who have never been exposed to systematic racism? What about people who did not grow up during the apartheid era? What about you? You're a young person. You didn't grow up in apartheid necessarily. Let's sit down and talk to somebody like you. I've sat down with a young lady by the name of Ashley and her friend Zee. They are two young graduates from the University of Pretoria who are not initially from Pretoria, but have studied and graduated from UP. Let's take a listen to what they had to say about this. Okay, so I'm very interested to hear from the two of you. Uh, what was your perception of Pretoria before you moved to Pretoria? 
like and I'm talking specifically when you were in high school like what what did what did you think of Pretoria coming from Joburg and coming from 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 a city that is completely different to to Pretoria I think neither of us between the two of us we didn't expect to come here it was quite last minute for yeah, both of us and for me finding accommodation was last minute literally two days before starting varsity and I thought it was a very dry very Afrikaans um to put it quite frankly, we thought it was quite backward. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So would you would you say that in the back of your mind you thought that it might be a bit racist? Yes. Okay. So your perception of Pretoria before you came here is that this might be a racist area. Right? Yes. Definitely. Okay. Agree. And this is one of the points about this 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 documentary. I don't think that it's it's a place specific. Mm. I I think that that there are racists in all sorts of places in in, in the world. And I don't think that it's. I think that the misconception and the and the bubble that I want to burst here is that Pretoria is not a racist place. There mm. are racists in Pretoria, mm. but Pretoria is not a racist place. Yeah, I agree. I it's can not. agree with that. It's yeah. not. Okay, so let's let's talk about going out in Pretoria. Um, you go to a place, you listen to a specific kind of music, you drink a certain kind of drink. Um, as a student, it's easy to do that. Mm. Yes. Do you think it's easier to go out in Pretoria to a place where everybody, you know, just gets on with it and, and is there for the party, as opposed to a place like Cape Town or, or, or Joburg? Some places have predominantly Afrikaans people or predominantly black people. So if you're of a different race or don't speak that language, you will be made to stick out to a certain extent. Okay. Mm. There are some places where, like you said, it's an equal playing field. Nobody really cares. They're just there for the music, mm. having fun with friends. But again, you'll have one person who triggers a whole situation, a racial situation, right. and it makes mm. it unpleasant. Um, it, that hasn't happened very often to me, but I feel like it has happened to a lot of other people that I know of. But it's never been something I'm afraid of happening every single night out. It's just maybe one person that will say something mm. really out of place, call you a bad word, and you have to kind of not associate it with the place, yeah, but you rather... Have to detach it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So it's, it's more to do with the people, like you're saying, than the place itself. Something that Z said made me review whether or not I'm on the right path here. Maybe I shouldn't be focusing on race. Maybe I should be looking at language. And one of the biggest things about Pretoria is that we have a massive Afrikaans community in Pretoria. And nothing says Afrikaans more than Fokov Polisikar. More importantly, the bar that is on Linwood Road called Fokov Bar. I sat down with the owner, Rob, because I want to discuss whether or not language plays a big deal in the way in which he puts together a party. I want to know what makes Rob tick. I want to know what he likes. What I've liked has always been super diverse for me. I've always managed to mingle with uh, people from any background, any race, any culture. And uh, it, it seems like we've kind of missed the, the divisive era. And um, I'm 32 now, and to say that is actually scary. It's been a rare time. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, to be honest. This is, this is where it's at. So, so let's talk about what you know, the general perception of Pretoria, and this is what we're trying to disprove here, is that Pretoria is a closed off, very backward, very um, almost to, to a certain extent a racist place. Um, you've grown up here and you've, and you've already mentioned diversification. So talk to me. No, I think that's maybe just something that comes with the blue bulls or something. I don't know. That's a strange thing for me. It's, I've never really seen that to that push that far, if, if, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously, there is still, we still have our townships and we still have our like, 
LSMs. And but at the end of the day, if you go to any proper Pretoria party, you'll see someone from any walk of life at it. And uh, I think especially the parties that we've done, we've had the 18 year olds party with the 45 year olds we've had the hip-hop cats hanging with the metal kids and and that's i think the one big unique factor that we have here i'm not sure if it's like a university or a blue pools thing or what it is but there is that bit of a proper misconception of what pretoria is about and that's for me wrong it's not even close yeah okay so the owner of one of the most afrikaans bars in pretoria likes hip-hop or throws parties at which people who enjoy hip-hop can, uh, can, can attend and, 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 and can party. Pretoria is renowned for its hip-hop scene. I want to chat to Leo. Leo is a hip-hop artist from the ON2 who is making waves in the industry. This is what his music sounds like. I said my piece is for peace, so there's more love in these streets, so there's more loving for me, unless you hating on the most left on secrets to serpents that serve the weak. You feel him juggling false truths when I'm around. Well, peep the sound, this gon' teach the difference between all of these fiends and me. I mean, I rhyme different, shine different, sublime, feeling, feeling the air. Got a heartbreak for my birthday till today. But scratch that album coming soon and it's gon' boom. Tell them suckers who've been trying to holler that I'm on my solo because I do not love with them, yeah. I want to find out from Leo what his feeling on hip-hop in Pretoria is. Okay, mm-hmm. so given, given hip-hop's roots and given where hip-hop comes from, yeah. uh, do you feel as though uh, it's odd now that there are so many diverse, diverse people listening to hip-hop? No, don't? I don't think so. Okay. Um, especially just as long as the core of it is, is being changed because right now what's happening is um, it's evolving. You yeah. Know? Um, it's still hip hop, but it's becoming more, more, more popular um, with with things that like uh, now, like nowadays, rappers don't really rap so much about what's going on in their lives. They'd, they'd rather rap about things that they'd want or something that inspires them or just a perception of something, yeah. which is which brings it back to like I think people just always trying to sell something, which is what I think right now, which has taken away from the real aspect of like what hip hop is. Yes, yeah. that's what I am going through or what I see. I I I, th- I agree with you a hundred percent. I mm. think that I think it's more about being able to relate to the music as yeah. opposed to being able to relate to the history of the music or yeah, that's yeah. that's what's happening right now. Yeah, for I mean, sure. Fast times. I was fascinated by what Leo was saying regarding the scene and the Pretoria 012 musical scene when it comes to hip-hop. I'm interested to see that he doesn't really focus on race. He focuses more on the subject matter of the music. So I sit down, so I sat down with Katleko Malachi. Katleko Malachi is part owner of Homecoming Events, one of the biggest hip-hop, gom, house, I'm a piano booking agents in the country. I want to hear what he has to say about diversification in 012's music scene. Right, okay, so, so let's talk about the diversification because if, if you look at Pretoria 10 years ago um, versus what Pretoria is now, you, you've got such a wide variety of people who, who, who attend, Tuanifontaine for example, such a wide variety of people who attend um, all, all of your gigs in fact. You've, you've got a, a, not only a wide variety of cultures but you've got a wide variety of races as well. So let's talk about Pretoria as a, as a, as a melting pot. Do you find that it's easy to book for Pretoria based on the music? Um, or do you think that it comes down to, okay, cool, I'm booking for a specific group of people 
and, and, and there will be other people who come along. So like if I book a Qom gig, for example, like you're going to get people who come for the Alma Piano as well. Like, so, so what I'm trying to say is, and, and, and maybe this is a windy way of asking it, but in terms of race, culture, music in Pretoria, do you think everything goes hand in hand? Or do you think that if you, if you focus on the music and you get the right gig, you'll, you'll, you'll get the right people to your gigs? So I think, you know, for me, when it comes to race, and I mean, I, I, I was at tux during the, you know, in the race culture and all culture was at a very high. And I kept saying to the guys, you know, it's not so much in the sound or the music, it's in comfort. So are you creating comfortable environments? And it goes to all sorts of social causes uh, when you start dealing with the race and say, is it comfortable for a person who doesn't fit the perceived demographic or target market of this event? Is it safe for them to come to an event and feel comfortable? Because I think that's where you begin to break uh, those boundaries and use them. That's why you're seeing it in Pretoria because people aren't shifting their lineups to say, okay, I'm now, you know, trying to. It's like, yo, I'm still having my rave party, I'm still having my piano party or my house party, uh, but you can come and be comfortable. So black kids can go to Slushy and be comfortable. White kids can come to 20 Fontaine and be comfortable. Nobody's changing the musical lineup. We're not putting in Soki or, you know, whatever, but it's kind of like you can come here and have an ordinary, normal, carefree experience. So I think music, because music transcends in and of itself. So if somebody sits at home, they listen to everything from rock to I'm a piano, and I'm a black guy and I'm sitting, I'm listening. So, so music in and of itself transcends and where I see it and I resonate with what's on the lineup, I'm inclined to go there. But the question that really gets people is never the music. It's in the culture of the space. Is it an inclusive space? And I think that's where we're getting to a point where um, events organizers that are more conscious of their duties and responsibilities in as far as creating inclusive spaces are seeing those cross-cultural, you know, benefits of it. Okay, so both Katlejo and Leo mentioned a diversification in the music scene in the 012. But that has to come from transformation because 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of diversity at the gigs in, 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 in Pretoria. And transformation needs to come from somewhere. So I sat down with Dr. Madiba, who is the head of the Transformation Committee at UP, to find out how University of Pretoria is handling transformation. Uh, the Transformation Committee at the University, this is the Institutional Transformation Committee that we are talking about. Each faculty at the University has its own Transformation Committee. So the institutional one is like uh, drawing from the chairs, but also the top management of each of the faculty. So it has been running for a year with the terms of reference. And for the past year, it was basically about coming together to report on any of the activities that are related to transformation in the faculties and to inform one another about what is happening and to have a kind of an institutional overview 
overview of what we are doing across. Oh, it's not only faculties, by the way. It is um, also directorates where you have a transformation committees. So all of these uh, kind of assemble into the institutional one. So, but now moving forward, we are now reworking the terms of reference because it cannot just be about reporting to ourselves about what we are doing. Uh, that does not get us any way or it, you know, it doesn't uh, help us with the change that we are all looking for. So into 2020, there is a clear agreement that we will rework the terms of reference and amongst others, where what we want to do in the Institutional Transformation Committee is to look at those areas that need change. So we have to identify the areas, that is one, and then uh, look into those areas, like talk through what are the issues in the specific areas. And once we've developed a kind of a deep understanding of what issues are involved, then commit towards actions that we will take as a community and at the end of the day we want to see change like tangible real change after we have then set in um, a number of uh, some actions in motion around those issues what misconceptions when it comes to transformation in pretoria would you like people to 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 to, to no longer have Okay, you know, your question is problematic. If you say the kind of maybe perceptions that perceptions, people are yeah, uh, and to debunk, I, I wouldn't go, you know, I, I wouldn't take your angle because we do have a history in this country and we, we all know in, uh, Pretoria as a city uh, in its days wasn't inclusive. That is a legacy, you know, that we have to live with. So if people have perceptions of exclusion in Pretoria, you cannot just say now it's a myth, we have to debunk it. Right. The thing is the history is still there. And if you have to think about racism, racism is very per per pervasive. You can change the laws, but if you are that careless, um, many other practices will still continue because it is not just the laws or the policies, it is also mindsets. It's you know, layered privileges that people have lived with for a long while. And people are not just going to give up their privileges easily unless if they are really taken to task. So I wouldn't say there are perceptions. The history of where we come from, um, you know, gives people hard evidence that we are not talking about a very innocent place as far as racism and exclusion is concerned. Okay, a big portion of what Dr. Madiba was saying is that we can't ignore the conception that is out there of Pretoria. But what is the conception that's out there of Pretoria? I'm chatting to Linda. Linda is the director of the Love and Sex Expo that has recently taken place in Pretoria. She's not from Pretoria. She's originally from Cape Town. So what is her perception of our beautiful 012 city? So, so when you were growing up, what was your conception of Pretoria? As in like, um, what, what, did you, what would you have associated Pretoria with? When you were growing um, up? being very Afrikaans. Right. Um, very conservative sort of town. Look, bearing in mind, I hadn't traveled much as a child. So yeah. this is purely, you know, naive sort of teenager views. Um, yes, not at all what I find it to be now. Um, so, yeah, probably very, like, conservative, small town, Afrikaans, rugby, uh, braai on a Saturday and Sunday. Um, you know, very stereotypical, I'd say. Yeah. 
Okay, so, so yeah, that's that's the perfect answer because it, it, it leads perfectly into in, into to, to my next question. Um, so now that you've been to Pretoria, now that you've seen what we do, and and you've seen that we don't all um, walk around barefoot, although quite a few of us do. Um, what, so what is and your, there's no problem with that. Yeah, um, what is your what is your conception of, of of Pretoria now? After working in Pretoria, after being um, in Pretoria for an, for an extended period of time, and and, and, and needing to be here um, from a professional standpoint, um, how would you how would you compare the conception that you had growing up versus what you your conception of Pretoria now? totally different um, and, and, and yet somewhat the same so um, to be completely fair I don't have a great overview of the whole of Pretoria predominantly my business has been in sort of mainland um, which right. I think is quite central right. I would love to see some more of it if I have time um, but I think I was so blown away with just the it's so cosmopolitan and I did not expect that for a minute. I remember driving through the first time thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I, what is waiting for me on the other side? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Um, you know, where, where I work predominantly is close to, you know, Times Square um, and then the main and just that area on its own. I mean, that's like foodie heaven. Um, you guys have a Starbucks. I don't even think we have a Starbucks in Cape Town. <laughs> so literally, um, you know, being there, one could feel like you're actually in, you know, the streets of London. Yeah. Um, it's not at all what I had thought. But then, you know, the people are warm and down to earth. And you have people that are, you know, I don't know if you know the word bougie. Yes, <laughs> in, yes. In, in my opinion. Yeah. And then you have people that are walking around, you know, in their rugby shorts and barefoot. And I really just love the, it's like a melting pot of, of culture. Right. Um, from, from what I've seen. And right. I think that's what makes it so amazing. Um, it's this amazing little, you know, cosmopolitan vibe and everybody just seems to find their niche and, and fit in with one another yeah um, and and certainly being an outsider and coming in I found the people to be really warm uh, really welcoming um, super helpful you know I'm terrible with direction and I've asked a number of times and people are you know really willing to just you know help and go the extra mile I mean I, I came to you guys for an interview a while ago Tux. Um, and I had absolutely no idea how to get out of the campus. Um, and somebody was like, no, don't worry, I'm going the same direction as you. Just, you know, jump in with me. Um, don't worry about getting an Uber. And that's so nice because yeah. I think it gives, you know, like I mentioned, from coming from Cape Town, um, you know, but being from a suburb just a little bit out of the city centre, it gives such a nice mix of, of both of those, like city living as well as small-town charm. Linda is talking about a very, very cosmopolitan version of Pretoria. Granted, she only spent a couple of days here and might not see the bigger picture, but she's got a very interesting view on what Pretoria actually is. I've sat down with somebody who grew up in Pretoria, who went to school in Pretoria, and who has a very interesting background when it comes to Pretoria. Tepi is a young broadcaster at Tux FM who went to an Afrikaans high school. I wonder whether she shares Linda's view on Pretoria. Okay, Tepi, so... Growing up in Pretoria, leaving Pretoria, going elsewhere, having people talk to you about Pretoria, yeah. there's obviously a perception and a stigma against Pretoria. Definitely, definitely. I think growing up in Pretoria, I was exposed to two sides because as a black girl, I went to a white Afrikaans high school. So I experienced that. And at the same time, I also experienced the township side of Pretoria. So you have two sides, which is the white side and the black side. So in high school, it was very protected area because... 
I've been exposed to, you know, people that say that white people only keep you close if they can benefit from having you close. So they would keep me in the safe space of, Tepi, you're so cool. But as soon as I'm around other black people, then there's this kind of like a distance that would come up. Okay, so, so let's go back to that phrase. So white people only keep you around when they can benefit from you. Yes. Okay, what does that mean? So in, in, in high school, they would use me for like concerts because I could dance, so I could help out with rhythm and choreography and all of that stuff. And there's certain things whereby they would exclude me because then I can't really help out. So it will be stuff like, let's say, calling my mom maybe to come help out, dish out food or stuff like that. They would, either, they would rather call all the fortunate mummies and the stay-at-home mummies, right. you know. So okay, it was so that kind of division. Let's, let's just talk about the demographic of your high school then because you, you are fairly unique in the sense that, that there are not a lot of people yeah. from, your, from your cultural background who would attend school. Yeah, Diwashko Menlo Park. There was it. like five of us in matric. Right. Okay. Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's 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 talk about that. Um, I actually wanted to speak about the demographics of the school. Okay. So so there's like five of you in matric. It's 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 an obviously a, a minority thing. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about your identity now, though, because you you speak Afrikaans. Yeah. As a radio broadcaster. Time, yeah. yeah. You speak Afrikaans in Pretoria. You there, there, there are many different um, examples of where you use Afrikaans. Yeah. But but you would not. When people describe somebody who speaks Afrikaans from Pretoria, they are not describing you. They would not you. think me. Yeah. No. Um, weird enough, I actually grew up loving Afrikaans more than my own home language or English. Okay. And um, as time went on, I actually started hating it. I think because now what people would do is they would say, and they would be shocked and they would yeah. want me to continue to yeah. see where I would fumble or fall, you know. And... I used it to my benefit, um, especially in terms of radio, like you were saying, um, getting jobs or interacting with people. Because once you speak their language, it's easier for them to communicate with them so they feel more comfortable. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but after speaking to Tepia, I'm left with this underlying feeling of sadness. I feel that the discrimination that she's experienced is unnecessary and vile. And when I feel like this, I turn to one man. There is only one man to turn to in this situation. And he knows all too well the bitter sting of what discrimination can do. Well, uh, it is uh, music <coughs> and dancing that makes me at peace with the world. <laughs> and, and at peace with myself. That is, of course, the legend himself, Nelson Mandela, speaking at a Johnny Clegg concert in France about how music brings people together. So for the final interview of this documentary, I've decided to interview an artist who is renowned in the ON2 for having such a diverse range and having such a wide variety of people listen to his music. His name is Apple Goulet. This is what his music sounds like. We're on an island place we've never been I want you to, it's time to sink or swim Oh ah, oh ah, oh eh Sink or swim Oh ah, oh ah, oh eh Sink or swim Oh ah, oh ah, oh eh Sink or swim Oh ah, oh ah, oh eh won't you come around again? Won't you come around again? Oh yeah. Won't you come around again? Sink or swim. Won't you come around again? Won't you come around again? Oh yeah.
When you play different cities in, uh, in, in South Africa, is there a noticeable mm. difference between the crowds in, in Pretoria and, and, say, Joburg or Cape Town, for example? Yeah, definitely. I, and I think maybe it's only because of, like, because I'm an 0 2 guy. Right. Maybe, you know, it's for them it's almost like they, they, they can kind of claim me and be like, hey, this is our, this is our dude. But I still think this definitely, you know, um, people are different in different places. I mean, different environments. If you're born at the coast, you'll have a certain way of living in life. You're born, you know, in a very, you know, industrial city like, let's say, Colorado Joburg, you'll be, you know, a certain way. And I think Pretoria is kind of like the best mix of the two, you know, so people are still laid back enough, but they're actually also still serious and also very, like, you know, receptive. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so, so um, it brings me to my, to, to, to my final question for today. Are you, are you beginning to see that the, that the crowds are beginning to mix a lot more in terms of language? Yeah, 100%. I was actually, like, um, talking to my manager about this the other day. It's just so nice to finally see um, a lot of people, like, you know, mixing with each other. And, like, you know, a lot of people go to a party and they call it a white party or they go to a black party or whatever. I think now at least, you know, there's a humongous mix of people going to each other's events. Yeah. Hip-hop events, house events. At disco events, you know, whatever it may be, you're seeing a very like diverse crowd, which is awesome to see because music should be that, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Tax FM 107.2. It's about you. It's about me. It's about now. In the process of recording this documentary, I realized how naive I actually am to other people's stories in Pretoria. I've realized that my naivety comes from a place of, of being sheltered to what other people are going through. I've also realized that this question of whether or not Pretoria is a racist city is something that can't be answered in one documentary. It would take weeks, months even, to capture enough audio to get a better understanding of what Pretoria is actually going through on a daily basis when it comes to racial discrimination. So, although I've tried, I think that it's difficult to answer this question. I also think that the question does not have a simple yes or no answer. In many cases, it would be problematic labeling a city with a population of a million people racist or not racist. Certain segments of the city might hold racist views or display racist attitudes, but other sectors of the same population are in all likelihood very progressive in their beliefs and attitudes. I'm glad that I did this. I'm glad that I was able to explore this topic. I want to hear from you though. Email me, mike at tuxfm.co.today or WhatsApp us right now on 061-720-1072. What is your opinion on is Pretoria a racist city? 012, are we racist?